done. So it's good to be here. And as Steve said, we start a new mini-series this morning. And it's going to be five Sundays, um, two on, from the book of Philemon. Oh, sorry, Philemon. Um, those who pronounce it Philemon, put your hands up. One, two, three, four, five, six, six. And those who call it Philemon? Oh, oh, what a split. What a split. Now, from that, we need to go to the 144,000, don't we? And see where the theology... Oh, okay, I'll leave that all together. So, you'll excuse me if I use it both ways this morning, Philemon or Philemon. It's just been my scrambled brain after hearing such, hearing such words. But that, that won't matter, will it? Now, and as Steve said, before we go any further, there's these little books, just one chapter in, in the... Um, in the New Testament, which we, we're going to look at, look at and it's, uh, um, it's going to be Philemon for the first week today, and Philemon next week, and then, it's, and then it's going to be, but they're both the same guy, all right? And then it's, we're going into the little letters of John, uh, 2 John and 3 John, and there'll be three Sundays in those. And of course, the subject title of this is Little Letters, Big Truths. And so for this morning, we need to ask this the question, what is the big truth about the letter to Philemon? Um, what is the big truth? And it will service, I'm sure, uh, a little bit later on. Um, first of all, I'm going to read the letter. I think about 25 verses in it, I think. But uh, we just need, need to read it uh, to get the... To, to sift out the story, Okay. Uh, it's a story um, back in there in about the year 62. Um, so the church had been birthed. Um, there had been Pentecost where thousands of people had come to know Jesus Christ and they were added into his church and there were more people added into the church. And by the year two, two, two thousand, uh, sorry, 62, um, there were lots more people being uh, added to the church, and it had moved from a sort of a Gentile, uh, sorry, a Jewish-based place. In other words, it was birthed in the Jewish community. That's how God intended it, through Jesus. Um, and then it spread to all the other nations of the world uh, through, for the, because of the wonderful message that it was, a message which we celebrated this morning, the fact that Jesus came and gave his life for us and we continue to worship him in spirit, in truth, in this year of 2023 and how the years march on. But the same story, the same song, it will be about Jesus as far as the church is concerned. And we pray that will be beacons. And we hope and we, we move towards that steadily that Jesus will continually be the object of our worship and the center of our beacon community and that we hear his words, we listen to his teaching, we aim to be true, intentional disciples of Jesus in every way. Because that's the light that Wally prayed about. It's the light that shines in the darkness. The truth and the knowledge of Jesus. It's the light that shines in the darkness. And John in his letter said, he said, well, 
the darkness around her doesn't understand it, and neither do we sometimes, neither do many, many people throughout the world. But Jesus is, is, is the light. He brings light to life, love, goodness, eternity, acceptance with God. He brings the light into the darkness. And there's a little bit of a dark scenario uh, being developed here in this letter of Philemon and need to see what it is. But let's just read, read it. Um, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Wow, what a track record. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would love, I, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this purpose is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Good I owe you, isn't it? I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, this is one of those letters that you can easily be disconnect with because um, um, I haven't got any slaves, I haven't got any servants, well, I don't think anybody has here anyway. Um, but um, it's how it relates to us. Um, what can we learn from it this morning? But um, the letter, first of all, it honours the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Martin Luther says, we really are all Onesimuses. We, we're all, in a sense, runaway slaves. We're all those who have offended our master, gone AWOL, and um, we've left the confine of security of God and gone our own way. So the gospel is all about bringing people back to the heart of God. It's all about saying how Jesus wonderfully does that and no one else can do it. How that he forgives our past and transforms us into people who are totally accepted by God, living as new creations and serving Jesus Christ. So Philemon, a Gentile believer, is a disciple of the Lord Jesus, has put his household up for open and daring witness for the church of Jesus Christ. A man, along with his wife, have opened up their home to care for other believers and promote the growing church with hospitality that blesses others. So our story draws in hospitality, which John spoke about a couple of weeks ago. It draws in one anothering, which I spoke about a few weeks ago. It draws in these connects, which as a church we've been looking at. And a problem has hit them head on. Onesimus, in our chapter referred to as a slave, has gone AWOL, not knowing where he has gone, and some stuff has gone missing as well. Some of Philemon or Philemon's property has gone missing. So here's this so-called slave, although in the correct uses of a word, it's not slave as we would currently think that position to be. It's more a servant, uh, an employee who has contractual protection beyond any other that they could find, beyond what we know today. That, that is an agreement between master and servant and slave. It, they're employee, and their lives were protected. Their lives were cared for in this true servant-master situation in that culture. And to say how important it was if a slave ran away from his master and even stole some of the goods, the highest punishment you could get was crucifixion, like that of Jesus. So here, here we are entering into a broken relationship. And that's why I just want to come to this morning, because in the end I'm going to move forward to the gospel has the power 
to reconcile broken relationships. That's where I'm heading. And I think that's the big truth of the story, isn't it? Because Paul, uh, the apostle, the writer of this letter, he's making an appeal to Onesimus because he's a, a lovely believer. He honors Jesus and he supports and promotes the church. And he's given his lifestyle. And the gospel is going to meet at the crossroads of culture and of biblical truth. As a crossroads there, we will find that very often culture is in a crossroads with biblical truth. We will have it today in lots of areas. Social justice and injustice and the right treatment of people things that the government actually promotes, which Christians think is totally wrong and against biblical principles. The crossroad is always there. But for Philemon and his household, we're living at this crossroad. The crossroad of where culture crosses biblical truth. This problem has hit them head on. The letter is tantalizingly short of details. Like, how did Onesimus providentially bump into Paul and how Paul led him to know Jesus? Details of that aren't in the letter. What are the details of him sharing his story and Paul leading him to Jesus? What is Philemon's response and the outcome? We don't know that. They're tantalizingly missing. For those students of the Bible, you, you just want to know where it goes. And it's not like the old fairy tales, and they all lived happily ever after. We don't know that. We don't know the outcome. We can take assumption by it and imagine that it did happen because of what um, other biblical, not biblical writers, but historians tell us about the situation. And, um, but... As believers in Jesus, we always like just to stick to the biblical records, what we have in front of us, because that's the truth. So those details are missing. Why? Others, though, are tantalizingly interesting, like who really is Archippus that Paul calls a fellow soldier? And why did he call him a fellow soldier? We can assume what he's saying, but we can't conclude what he's saying. We can assume things and think all lovely thoughts and think all lovely biblical principles. But in the end, we know that Paul has called him a fellow soldier. And is Aphia Philemon's wife? We're not told that she's his wife, but we assume because of history and extra biblical records that um, she is his wife. And so we have a household here going on normally honouring Christ in their society, meeting at the crossroads of culture, and this problem's hit them head on. Onesimus has gone missing. Wow. So just to qualify the slaves issue again, Paul calls Onesimus a slave. The Greek original is only used twice here in this letter. We've got nothing to compare it with but means servant at its heart, one who serves another in a social capacity. A servant 
a slave. We can call him a slave because of that culture that was a recognized part of the culture that masters had slaves. But if we try and read out the meaning of slaves, it doesn't really work out in the end. They are servants who have a protected inheritance as they work for their masters. But if you go AWOL, you lose it. You've lost it. And so the, the appeal of the gospel here is restoring a broken relationship because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because where we are in life, it's all about restoring what has been lost. Our life with God, our inheritance without Jesus is a lost cause. And we remain lost until we find Jesus. And the Bible uses the word, we are then found. We are then found. It's lovely just to think that whatever the circumstances, Onesimus, the servant, the slave, bumps into Paul. And Paul shares with him the gospel of Jesus. And Onesimus becomes born again. He becomes saved. He comes, becomes a person who is now translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's little son. And this morning we can be an Onesimus. We can be found. We can make that decision to choose Jesus Christ and follow him and be his disciple. And that counts for everything. And that, the Bible says, is when we are found. The moment we put our trust in Jesus, we move from lost to being found. That's the moment the light shines. That's when it shines in the darkness. And the darkness can't overcome the light, as John said. The light is more powerful. It's stronger. The light of Jesus Christ in this life is far more power than any, powerful than anything else we can know. So biblical evidence do not promote and support the cause of slavery as it is usually seen, along with the widespread abuse associated with it. Biblical evidence doesn't, doesn't support that kind of thing. Um, if we're talking about slavery today, we seem to have one-track minds. But it goes back to when people were slave-traded and, and people were under abuse of all kinds of things, and the wrong impression is given. And that the Bible does condemn that but neither does it provide material for a stage protesting violence against masters in the cultures where it is the social norm. It's strange, isn't it? Because it's always the, uh, the abuse of the slaves that's brought up, but in this story, it's the abuse of the master. It's a different sort of scenario. The, the, the shoe being on the other foot, isn't it? And both are true. There is abuse all around us. But this is abuse in the terms of what God can do when it happens. The power of the gospel. In any working relationship, to rob your employer and do a runner would be an offense. Punishment for this offense could be very severe, even to crucifixion in the Roman culture of the day. Social culture would not expect Philemon to be lenient in this breach of contractual agreement. So the culture wouldn't allow him to be lenient. 
but Paul's appeal, his letter of appeal, is for him to show grace and mercy in this situation. So it's cross-culture, isn't it? The culture is meeting, the social norms of the culture are meeting what Paul is going to be, but this is not an end situation, Philemon, this is an opportunity for God to move in power. As a Gentile too, there was no excuse for Philemon to favour a criminal. As Jesus' disciple, there are gospel truths that need to be let loose in any situation and in every person's story. Those of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, hope, reconciliation, these are to name those dynamic and fundamental that are powerful in pulling down strongholds and setting captives free. Paul is going to stir into his communication in a reasoned manner what reconciliation looks like for Philemon to initiate. I'm going to say that again because it's a careful phrase at work in this story. Paul is going to stir into the communication by letter a reason, in a reasoned manner. Paul says that himself. He said, I, I could command you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to reason with you. He's going to reason manner what reconciliation looks like for Philemon in his situation to initiate. And the appeal comes to him as a responsible leader in a church situation. Where you say, is, is this man failing? You can't say this man's failing. Paul's reasoning something. This is a way forward. This is, this is working out the gospel of Jesus Christ for the benefit of his, his slave, Onesimus. And Paul's going to reason that out. Paul's letter to Philemon, and let's look at Philemon now because that's my job this morning. Paul's letter to Philemon is an appeal to reconcile the relationship personally, in spirit, and in practice. And Paul underlines the grounds for his place to do this. He said, you have refreshed the hearts of many people you have been an encouragement to the believers. You have blessed your church community. Now what about Enesimus? It's almost, let's imagine, there's a little bit of a blind spot here. So he's saying, yeah, well, Christians mustn't have blind spots. They must live by the truth. So what are some of the things we learn from Philemon this morning what do we learn from him but I think what Paul is saying here and based on what I've just said you Philemon already have authority with God in this broken relationship you have authority with God in this situation so as God is speaking to us this morning we live in a world of broken relationships Whatever those broken relationships, God wants to move out of that situation 
into a situation where the peace of God is known between people. He wants us to, he wants, we actually want the whole world to do it, but actually the power's in the hands of the believers here. He has authority with God to change the situation. And I just want to remind us this morning, if we've had any sort of experience in the past or living in the present in a broken or difficult relationship situation, you have power with God to change it. And we're going to see how that happens in a moment. And I don't think we should, Christians, just let broken relationships carry on. We have authority to initiate a way forward. We shouldn't live... I carefully say that carefully. We, sh- we shouldn't be complacent about living in a broken relationship situation or we still keep digging up the past that was the cause of a broken relationship. There should be within us an initiation to reconcile situations. That's the heart of God. And that's the appeal to Philemon. Yes, it might be culturally wrong. Yes, it may be a situation you didn't want to happen. You're really offended by it, but you have authority with God to change that situation. That's what we learn from Philemon. Paul has already underlined this. You have the power of faith. You have the power of love. You have the power of encouragement. Now let it loose. You have authority with God. And I think we must all remember at different times, to be quite honest with you, there's still little bits of broken relationships within the B community since it started. And God's always looking for a way to heal those. There are are marriages that have suffered horrendous experiences. And God's always looking for the healing process to happen. He wants it, even if we don't come to the final court of being reconciled, The pathway of reconciliation is one to pursue. And we have authority with God to do that. Now, Paul knows that because he's already pleading in prayer about it. He's prayed for Philemon. And that says a lot to me. If a situation's worth praying about, it's a powerful issue. And we have the power to pray. And sometimes we pray and we seem to get nowhere. And the word that God gave me this morning for us to pursue too is the word stalemate. (laughs) I've had that on my mind all night. You know, relations get to the point where you don't move forward. You remain in stalemate. And God wants to pull that stronghold down today in Jesus' name. He wants to bring it right down He said, because you have authority with God to do that. You have authority to pray. We've had it in our songs this morning. God hears our praise, and he listens intently to what we say. And if it doesn't seem to work with praying about it, then referring back to my sermon on one anothering, where we, we talked about if anyone sins, go to him and tell him his fault, and if he doesn't listen to you, take someone with you. And if he doesn't listen, you take the church with you. And then it goes on to talk about where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. It sort of terminates with that need to pursue prayer, if not on our own, but with others. Move forward 
God's about mending broken relationships. So that was the first point. You already have authority with God in this broken relationship. <clears throat> Paul obviously honors him positionally as head of the family, leader of the church, and he honors him as a disciple of Jesus. Paul also honors him conditionally. Someone who could be reasoned with in a challenging situation, a man who demonstrates faith through his love. And verses 4, 5, and 6, I read, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Oh, dear. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing, not some, but every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. You reckon Paul knew he had authority with God? He did, and we have too, through faith and love. The next thing we learn about Philemon is you've been wronged, but you have the power to change it. I'm praying for you, brother. Um, it's lovely when someone comes up and they say to you, well, how's you, how's your, you know, what your situation is? And you say, well, I've got a problem, you know. Then they end up by saying, well, I'm praying for you. I would say that many times I've done that and I haven't prayed for them, for the situation. But this is just a reminder, if we say we're going to pray for someone, let us remember to do it. Let us remember to pray for them in that situation. And Paul saw him in this place of, of being positionally and conditionally in the right place to move forward with God. The next thing we learn about Philemon is you're, you are encouraging Philemon and an encourager. Hallelujah. Verse 7 says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What, what, a few, what a paragraph. What a testimony to a guy. You have the quality. You have the power. You're in the right place to move this thing forward. Don't let it stagnate. Don't let it stalemate. But let it come to life. And let's pray and see what God will do in this situation. So encouragement. You are encouraging and you're an encourager. And that's a good challenge this morning, isn't it? Do, do, do we aim to be encouraging in the things we say and, and encourage people onwards? This is going to help Onesibus to know that now he's for him. The next thing we see is really what he's, what he's thinking. You know, um, when we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our minds change, our thinking changes. It takes on new dimension, new roots. Things that we used to think, that they change, don't they? They change. Our attitudes towards people change. And so Paul says to him, Look here, Philemon. I see him as a son, not a slave. Work towards forgetting what is behind 
as in Jesus, we are new creations where the old has gone and the new has come. You know, it's so easy not to forget bad experiences. But Paul had been in that place where he learned the power of trying to forget what's happened, forget the past, forget the offense, and look at the truth of living in the light of God's goodness. So you see Paul's moving his heart out towards Onesimus. Look, 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 see what can happen here. Have him back. He can become profitable in your house. It's not useless as a runaway slave. <laughs> look what he can become. Hope. When I was preaching on one anothering, part of our, part of our one anothering should be speaking hope into situations. Don't let it stalemate. Let it come alive with the power of God to move forward into reconciliation. So Paul explains his name. Look, there's a play on words here. The name of Mesimus really means profitable. He's not useless. Let him come into the full potential of his name. Let him become profitable in your household. Let him demonstrate that he's not useless. Then the other thing, Paul appeals him, show him he's welcome in the church and in your family circle. As, as Paul appeals to him, it, it hits at the two dimensions. Both the church and the family should be a place of welcoming Onesimus despite what he's done. You should welcome him. And we can learn the importance of giving people a welcome. In John 8 verse 35, and it's a little bit out of context. It says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Let's see our brothers and sisters as part of the family, as part of the son. Story of Luke 15 and the prodigal son speaks the same sort of thing. The welcome the father gave the son when he came back. I'm just going to finish off and close up by saying, by the year 100 AD, it is estimated that there were 80,000 believers, and by 200 AD, Asia Minor was largely Christian. How did they do this? The believers went to the crossroads of their world rather than seclude themselves in safe, sheltered places. This was Philemon at the crossroads of culture and the gospel, learning from him we can do let us work with reason as fire limited did but let's let's work toward broken and difficult relationships let's to walk mending them and just to say as i said stalemate is a stronghold of satan and it can come down in jesus name it can be rubbled it can be minimized, it can be brought. A stronghold, a stalemate. And if you feel that's a situation which you need to meet, or pray into, then do that. We're going to have communion later on. And let's, if you need prayer, you need guidance to move this thing on, then let's do it. You have authority with God. I have authority with God to do this thing. Let's do it in Jesus' name.